back to Be Inspired, a podcast that Blue Balloon Theatre have put together for you guys to, you guessed it, be inspired by a whole bunch of creatives from all walks of life. And today we've got the wonderful Adam Martin on. Uh, if anyone follows us on Instagram, you will have seen Adam Martin appear on one of our IG lives, um, or several. <laughs> um, but welcome, Adam. And... It's, uh, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it's lovely to have you on. <laughs> um, for anyone that isn't aware, uh, Adam is my partner. So this is going to be, this is going to be like waxing lyrics. Couples on. episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I guess the best place to start really is for anyone that might not know who you are. Do you want to tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself and just what you do? Sure. So I am the son of Noel Edmonds. No, I'm joking. I'm not. Um, so it, I mean, I haven't worn the best shirt to try and disprove that today, to be honest, but um, uh, I'm Adam Martin. I like Becca. I'm an actor. I'm a singer. I try to be a bit of everything uh, because I think you have to be. Um, recently, I've been making a lot of stuff for YouTube under my stage name, Adam Martin, which started off way back when in 2012, as I think like a lot of people, like a hobby thing, you know, here and there. Uh, started doing it more from 2016 and actually through the last year it's oddly enough been my main source of uh, income through the pandemic so I'm very thankful for that so it's sort of become I don't want to say it's like my job at the minute but it is sort of I think the closest thing I have to a job if that makes sense currently um, you can make your own rules but uh, which I often make too many rules for myself um, but yeah I just like creating things things I'm passionate about things I want to discover about things I want to share things I hope people will uh, take away like educational stuff or fun stuff I just yeah just a bit of everything really it's what I like to do nice you you have had such a journey with YouTube in the past year um and I feel like that's such a great place to start because as you said you back uh back in 2012 you started creating content for YouTube and since then it's yeah. kind of grown into well, something it wasn't really content back then. <laughs> and it was it was more, here's my Samsung Galaxy S2. I'm going to film really shakily with it and not make any cuts or edits whatsoever. So, uh, but I get what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've definitely grown in that sense because your editing is just, like, exceptional. It's hilarious. You're a big fan of memes as well, so... Um, oh, I love a meme. Oh, you do. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I personally have seen your growth uh, when it comes to creating content for YouTube but I kind of wanted to speak to you about it and ask you about what your experience has been like in the past year because of obviously Covid and things and how much time you've had to put into it really and the fact that you've kind of you've seized that opportunity 100%. Yeah I mean when when Covid hit at the end of March last year which is mad that at the time of recording that's nearly a year ago now um, for those who don't know, I was two days away from starting a brand new musical tour called No Horizon, and I was going to be playing the lead character. It was all very exciting for all of us, but, you know, for me as well. And we were in Tech Week in good old Bansley. And, uh, yeah, we were on our second... Well, I'll try and be quick with it, but based on the first night after rehearsal, it all went well, but that was when Boris made his announcement, not locking down, but saying, I don't think you should go to theatres sort of thing. So we were a bit like, right, what does that mean for us? And then the next day, we went in as normal, but about midday, about lunch, they came in and said, we, 
we can't continue. It's not safe, which is, you know, the right decision. So I came back home to lovely Doncaster and was like, right, what do I do now? <laughs> I think as, as a lot of us did when we first locked down. And um, at that time, I'd only been doing, I think, maybe one video a week on the channel, if that, because of No Horizon rehearsals. You know, I couldn't dedicate much time to it. So I just, I went full out, as you said. Um, I started doing it daily, which was never the plan, by the way. I never said I'm going to do daily uploads because I was always a bit scared of that because obviously getting a video out every day is so much more difficult than I think people give it credit for. But I think because I had so much free time, I was able to, you know, do three or four videos in one day and pre-plan them. So it just sort of became that way. And I did daily uploads from April to January this year, which is insane. I uploaded a video every day for nine months. Like it's honestly, I look back and I'm like, it's so mental. And I've gotten the chance to do so many new things on the channel too. Like I launched my own podcast, AMTV Radio, which this one might appear on. Um, <laughs> hint, hint. But um, yeah, I've always, I mean, as I'm sure a lot of us do, we all love a good podcast and I just love chatting with people like we do now, not even necessarily about one specific thing. I just love talking as, as Becca knows full well by now. <laughs> and yeah, that was a great way to meet a load of people in various communities, mainly the Doctor Who one. And there's so many wonderful Who-tubers, as they're called, who I'd watched and admired. And people are so down for it, you know, chatting about their work and about Doctor Who. And I've made so many new friends in that space. And it's, it's one of them, you know, we're all sort of saying, oh, we hope when conventions go back up, we can all actually meet in person because now we're all mates. And I think it's things like that. Do you know what I mean? There's such a join it. It's like acting. You work on a project with people you've never met. And then by the time you've left, you're like texting them and ringing them and like organizing get togethers. It's very much that sense of a community spirit. And I think that's what I've loved the most about YouTube this past year, sort of finding a community and finding people within that community. Definitely. I, I had this exact conversation with you the other day, I think, because I was saying mm. how many people you'd met through doing the, well, met over a screen uh through doing amtv radio and that in itself has grown into something uh, i mean far beyond what you probably expected i i would imagine yeah it, it's it's surprise i think the biggest surprise is when i have guests on and you know you do like what we've done before this recording you just say hello and have a bit of a chat and the amount of guests who come on and say oh yeah i've, I've listened to the podcast and it's like what the fuck do you know what i mean it's like it's, <laughs> It's mind blowing that people, it sounds so daft because you're putting it out there to be watched or consumed, but it's still weird when you're interviewing people whose work you admire, say, oh, I've watched your stuff and I really like it. Do you know what I mean? It's such a weird, feeling. not a bad feeling, but it's so weird to hear it. It's like, wow, someone actually likes what I do. Because I think a lot of creators will say when they, certainly when they start out, they're not doing it necessarily for anyone. They're just doing it for them. And then it can snowball, which is the, one of the wonderful positive effects of YouTube. There's some downsides, but there are, there's many a positive when you get a following, I think. Nice. And how many followers have you got now? Oh, I hate, I thought you were going to ask that question. I don't, <laughs> oh, look how many followers I've got. Um, at the time of recording, I am very, 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 very close to 12,000 subscribers. I think I'm only about 10 away. So it's very exciting. So please go and subscribe. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm close to 12,000, which again, I always try and say to people in the grand scheme of YouTube, that is still considered a small channel. If you look at who else is out there, which I, I mean, I never set out on YouTube to be big. That was never my aim. 
Um, but to me, the fact that I've got 12,000 people who, not all of them do, but you know, people who are subscribed and potentially watch your stuff, that's insane. Like, I, yeah. it, it, it's, ah, it's mad. You know, you, you never expect that many people will, will like what you do. So I, I yeah. don't envy those who have like millions of subscribers because I reckon they wake up and think, my God, like millions of people watch what I do and what I think. And I think it's realizing how much, not in a, I don't mean in like an egotistical way, but how much influence you can have. Mm. Because um, if I'm talking about something like a review, I always try and get across that it's my opinion. And if you have different opinions, that's okay. I feel that's really important and it gets lost so often on social media. But um, I, I have seen people who watch my stuff and go, oh yeah, you're right. It's, it's bad or it's good or whatever. And I'm like, don't say that just because I've said it. Like mm. use your own your own thoughts i guess because i've been a we all have to some extent you know we get accused of mobilizing our fans if you like to think a certain way whereas what i try and do is if i feel very strongly about something on twitter say if it's someone i won't get into detail because they'll probably at me but say if it's someone you know someone who has a very strong view that's opposite to you that you consider to be hurtful or damaging i will respond to that saying i think this is wrong i think this type of thing doesn't you know shouldn't be on the platform but i will never say to my followers or my subscribers you should go and tell them that too i want them to analyze the situation and if they agree with them that's their prerogative um do you know what i mean i never want to feel like i'm mobilizing people because that's just that's just a bit weird i don't want to i don't want an army <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think that's the best way to be and just kind of touching upon what you just mentioned there about you know, people who may have millions of subscribers, I think it kind of goes back to that thing of they feel so comfortable with their audience, I would imagine, and from what I know and have seen, that they sort of revert back to just creating whatever the hell they want because they've yeah. got the following there. Um, so it's quite interesting, the journey of being a new channel um, and then being someone like yourself who is really quickly growing into a bigger channel and then being the huge channels that it's almost like no matter what they say or do they couldn't do any wrong I mean obviously there'll be people that don't like their stuff um, and yeah. I would imagine they get a lot of comments and things like that but I mean you probably wouldn't care by that point yeah it's, it's a weird fine line um, because I've seen there has been scandals on YouTube and I'll just say this now YouTube drama is so trash but it's like it's a very big guilty pleasure I secretly love it um, but you know people on YouTube have done bad things and um, I think in some cases that I've seen it's they've done it because they forget that they're not invincible like you say yes they're comfortable with their audience but because they think they're so big and they've got this influence that they're above criticism or above wrongdoing which of course isn't true and then they get their comeuppance for it um so i always i mean i don't know what's going to happen to my channel in the future because as you know and if anyone who doesn't i'm an actor first always um so if i you know maybe one day if i got like a big long-running role in a stage play or a team you know anything like that mm -hmm. youtube would have to take a back seat and i know that because that's my that's my choice it's it being acting acting first um, but even if I continue YouTube and I say grew to be a, a much bigger channel, I would always try and hope that I would sort of keep that sort of grounded aspect of not thinking I'm above 
anyone or anything just because of my subscriber count. Because when you break it down, it's stupid. It's like, what? So you've got a bigger number than me. So you're better than me. Nah, like, sorry, honey. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, because I think, sorry to go on, but I mean, I think the whole numbers aspect is so you can be so easily suckered into it. Um, like, you know, watching your subscriber count, watching your view count, because of course, you know, you hope people watch it. Mm. But um, I think it's very easy to be, I've seen people suckered into it where it then becomes a bit of a detriment to them, whether that's in their their regular job or their health or whatever it is, because that it's become like their sole obsession, if you like. And I think there's a way to try and keep it healthy. You've just got, I guess, balance yourself. I think me and you do that quite well. We know that we know content we want to make, but at the same time, if for whatever reason we can't get a video out or something like that, we're not like everything must be stopped. It's like, no, no, we can, it's fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's cool. Yeah. So there you go, folks. Do not do not keep your eyes on the numbers because it's it won't help you. Um, don't look at the numbers and just don't be a, don't be horrible. That's yeah. That's the simple answer. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's just staying grounded with it. Um, one of the things that I wanted to briefly touch upon was your content and the kind of videos that you produce for YouTube, mm. because you have a very specific niche of. <laughs> of videos and of content and something I'm completely fascinated by and probably always have been in the time I've known you is how you came to finding that niche for yourself. When did you discover that that was the kind of content you wanted to make on a regular basis? On the reg. I think it was a summer of 2016. So we were between our second and third years of drama school Mm -hmm. and, um, by that point, I was just, it was, you know, sort of ad hoc uploads. It wasn't serious. It was the hobbyist stuff like showing, here's what I got on vinyl this week, or here's what I got as a Doctor Who DVD. But it wasn't, as I say, it wasn't content. It wasn't edited or anything like that. And I'd watched a documentary about the origins of uh, BBC Two, how it came about. And I thought, this would be cool, but to do in like a succinct way. And then that expanded to talking about the five main terrestrial channels here in the UK. So for anyone who doesn't know, that's BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel 4 and Channel 5. And I thought I can do a brief history on this sort of surmising their origins and what they are in like 10, 15 minutes. And um, at that point, I'd recently gotten a uh, Apple MacBook computer that had editing software built in. So that was my first time editing, which was a learning curve. And um, again, it was just like a one-off project. I never thought I'll do more. I was like, I just want to do this. But then that took off quite quickly actually for for my channel anyway a lot of people watched it people were subscribing and I thought okay there's a market for this and very quickly I made more videos in that brief history style I did one on who wants to Billy uh Billy who wants to who wants to be Billy who wants to be a millionaire I did one on the PlayStation one uh casualty I did one on just whatever I was passionate about really and um people watched them and seemed to like them so I thought okay well maybe I'll just make some regular content then and I started doing that and it was sort of all over the place but the big niche I think you're talking about uh, was in early 2018 when I first debuted uh, the ident review (laughs) what's an ident I hear you cry an ident for those who don't know you know before programs it'll be like a little cute sequence within the company logo that's an ident and um it, some lost idents had just been found. It was some BBC Two Halloween idents from the early 90s that, that uh, for a long time it was believed there were no clips surviving. And then someone found a VHS with them on it. 
so they got uploaded to YouTube and I thought, this is cool. I want to, I want to talk about this. So I devised the iDent review to talk about them and people really liked it. And I said, oh, I'll do another. And nearly 90 episodes later, here we are. I'm still talking about those pesky little iDents. So I'd say that's the, the biggest niche. And I think it was just more surprising how many people were interested because I knew I was interested. I didn't know why, but I was like, I like this. Um, but loads of people seem to have an affinity with it. And I think the astonishing thing is people like me, people who didn't grow up in the 70s or 80s, but are fascinated by that presentation, that technology, even though it wasn't part of our childhood, we feel somewhat connected to it. And I think that's what surprised me. So um, I still try and make ident content now, but I've, as you said, I try and make whatever I feel passionate about. So Doctor Who, idents, now that's what I call music, millionaire, just whatever I want to make. I, tr I try and stick by that, but YouTube's a bit difficult with its algorithm, as I'm sure you know, where basically for those who don't know, if you have a string of videos, say if I made 10 ident videos in a row that all did really, really well, and the algorithm's like, right, he makes this kind of content and this is what gets views and we'll promote that. But then if I made a Doctor Who video in the midst of that, they'll go, hang on, this isn't what he normally does. So we won't promote that as much. And then it doesn't get as many views because people aren't aware of it. So it's a, it's a tough system to be creatively free. And I think you can only do it, as you said, when you're at the start of your channel or when you've got like 50 million subscribers and you can do whatever the hell you want. I feel at this stage now, where you're sort of growing, but you're still considered small, it's probably the hardest to do that, be creatively free, because you want to, you partly want to feed the algorithm, but you also don't want to do content that you're not passionate about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's, um, I can completely vouch for that, even being a very tiny channel at the moment. Uh, my YouTube journey so far has been really interesting, and I think it's yeah yeah you're right ultimately everything you're saying is right I make content that I'm very passionate about but I've seen it in the short time that I've been properly YouTubing I uploaded something last week and it was completely different to all the videos that I'd uploaded so far mm. and suddenly the view count was considerably less like than the rest of them and I was like hmm okay then maybe I won't create anything like that again but I think it's for me anyway I just sort of reminded myself that it's a new kind of video for my channel and yeah. I'm I'm not gonna uh, abandon that idea because I do like it and yeah but it's just a case of I you know it, it's there it exists and we've just got to promote it I, I guess but um I think that's what we were saying like about the numbers as well. It's so easy when a video doesn't do as well to be discouraged by that and then think, oh, well, I shouldn't make this again. Like the example I can think of at the minute is uh, the Now Review series that I do, which again has been running on the channel for years, uh, which is I review new Now albums that come out. Now that's what I call music. They don't do that well, not really, not view wise, but I make it because I've always been passionate about the Now series and I want to talk about it. So, uh, but there have been many times where I've thought, oh, maybe I'll just not bother or yeah. miss it sort of thing. But uh, no, I think you have got to, if that passion's there, you've just got to stick to your guns, you know? Yeah. yeah, definitely. There you go. Stick to your guns, guys. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about YouTube so far and mm. it, it was something that I did want to discuss with you because I think like I said before, you really seized an opportunity to 
create more content and put loads more time into it last year because of COVID. Um, I kind of wanted to speak to you about acting as well and sort of your your journey with that, how you came to train and things like that and what your journey has been like since you graduated. Sure. So acting, uh, it wasn't what I always wanted to do. The first thing I ever wanted to be was an astronaut when I was four. Um, but then I had to have the conversation, Adam, your eyes aren't all that good. So you probably <laughs> be an astronaut. Um, but yeah, I was, I was nine when I got into acting. Um, it sounds so cliche, but it's, it, I, you know, God's honest truth. It was from the revival of Doctor Who that got me into it. I saw Christopher Eccleston, big up, big up. And yeah, I just, I, I think I was fascinated with the concept of this man is playing someone else. Because I think, you know, when you're that age, I watched a lot of cartoons and animations, but I'd never really sat down to watch a drama, like with real people. So I was like, right, so he, he can be this person. He can be whoever he wants to be. That's cool. I want to do that. And then my first performance was as Scrooge in a year five or six production of Christmas Carol, uh, which for some reason, there's some video footage of it floating around and it's so cringe to look back on now. There's no technique, people. There's no technique. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I just, from there was where I sort of, I guess, like nurtured it. And I did all the things, you know, a lot of people do like Saturday drama club or whatever and uh, all that stuff. And then auditions. And um, I was very lucky to be accepted at Lipper, the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, in my first year of auditioning. So when I was 18, um, I, I, it's always a funny story. I was put on the reserve list, um, which at that time you didn't know whereabouts on the list you were, did you? You didn't know whether you were near the top or near the bottom or whatever. And I had an offer from Lambda for their foundation course, but you had to pay for that one. And it was like 11 grand and then also moving to London. And I remember chatting with my parents and they were like, well, we can do it if you want to. And I felt so bad because it was going to really like financially stretch everything. So I rang Lipper, a bit ballsy of me, really. I rang Lipper and said, I'm just curious if you can tell me where I am on the list. I was Because I thought if I'm in like the top five, I'll risk it and turn down Lambda in the hopes that Lipper will say yes. If I'm near the bottom, I might accept Lambda. That was my thinking. And they went, right, okay, well, give us a minute. We'll come back, comes back and says, yeah, um, we'd like to offer you a place. And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> so I was like, see you later, Lambda. But, you know, so... That was how I got in miraculously. Um, and as you know, we had a fantastic three years. I met 29 wonderful human beings, one of whom is now my girlfriend. And um, yeah, we did lots of great shows. We learned lots of amazing technique, lots of things along the way. Uh, graduating was surreal, really. I mean, you can relate, I'm sure, because it's that moment like the day after or a few days after when it's like, right, we've got to do this now. All that training, because anyone who's got any thinking about drama school, you will very rarely will you walk out of it straight into something. Some do, some are very lucky, um, but often off it's not the case. And, but Lipper made no pretense about that. They never said, we will make it so when you leave here, you'll be in the West End. They were always very good at being like, we'll give you the skills and the technique, but then it's on you, which I appreciated. Um, so yeah, I think it was just weird those first few months at the end of 2017, just sort of like finding, finding work quite frankly. I mean, I was lucky that I did a, a schools tour from September to December that same year. So that kept me busy, which had its own uh, highs and lows. But um, it made me realize that I love doing theatre for children in schools, because I think TIE, theatre and education, is still sadly 
in some corners looked down upon. It's like, oh, well, it's theatre for schools. It's not proper theatre, which is, I won't swear, but it's rubbish. Because, you know, kids, it's always the next generation. If you don't provide kids that experience, who's going to carry it on? Because, I mean, when I was a kid, we maybe had one or two trips to the theatre, but we went into schools then, and, you know, teachers would be like, oh, thank you, the kids never get the chance to see theatre. Some of them have never seen theatre before, and these kids are like 11, 12, 13. And to me, that's mad. So I think TA has a very important place in this industry. And if you look down on it, stop it. Um, There, so there. (laughs) Stop it. But yeah, since graduating, it's, um, I think as you, you can say, it's highs and lows because I mean, I don't have an agent personally, never have. And it's not, it's not bothered me per se. I mean, it's, it's high, you know, if you have an agent, yes, you are more likely to maybe get auditions for certain things that you wouldn't do without or vice versa. I think, call it, call it greedy. I've always just enjoyed pocketing everything I earn. So <laughs> I don't like giving any of it away. So. It's not greedy. I, you know what? It's, it's a very valid point. Um, and I think for young actors that may not be as aware of the process of getting an agent and what it's like, um, you know, you do pay commission, dependent on your agent, of course, you do pay commission on jobs that you get yourself. Yeah. So, for example, I have, uh, I've been with my agent now for over two years, um, the one that I'm with now, and I have a great relationship with her. Uh, but it is in my contract that any job I get for myself, I give my agent a commission from that. Now, a lot of people would have a problem with, with that. Um, but it's just one of those things that you have to do as an actor with an agent. Yeah. Um, but it's never really bothered me because I do have, like I said, I've got a very good relationship with my agent. And, you know, it. there are certain instances dependent on the job where she won't ask for commission. So I think it's just building that trust between the actor and the agent and just being completely open. And yeah, I mean, you, you, you never know whether you'll be able to pocket all of it or not, but yeah, yeah, it's, um, I also think that you, for anyone listening who's either in the industry or, or wants to get into it, um, lean into anything that's unique about you. And in this case, I mean specifically uh, uh, disabilities because I'm visually impaired to an extent. I'm, again, it's one of those hidden things. I might not look it. I might just look like you're every other white male, but um, I do have a um, visual impairment to a degree. Um, and when I was a kid, you know, and growing up, it's one of those things when you fill in in forms, um, I was always advised not to put it down because you had less chance of being you know, oh, he's got a disability. So, you know, the world was different back then. Whereas now I'd say, share it, do it. I've applied for jobs and just said, yes, I've got a visual disability. And it's helped. It's in some cases got me jobs, which sounds daft, but it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, the musical I was going to do, I mentioned earlier, No Horizon, the lead character is blind. And they said in the audition, we want someone who is either blind or visually impaired. I wouldn't have got that. Well, I might not have got it for other reasons, but one of the reasons I wouldn't have got that job would have been if I had normal vision. So there are jobs out there for you if you have a variety of um, disabilities. I think the industry, thankfully, is changing to embrace those things more positively than, oh, right, you're in a wheelchair, so we're probably not going to cast you sort of thing. I mean, there are still 
blips, of course there is. Um, and there are still people who shirk the system or don't handle it well. But there is a lot of force for positive change happening, I think, in the as far as disabilities are concerned. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would completely agree. And that was such a... It was lovely, actually, when you were preparing to um, tour No Horizon. It was lovely to know how supported you were as an actor with a disability. Um, you know, I remember you telling me about how the whole team was so great, supportive, and that's that's exactly how it should be and yeah. it should continue to be that way um and i completely agree i think that was something that i sort of touched upon in my podcast on amtv radio with you was that if there's something unique about you if there's something you can do really really well use that use yeah. that to your advantage because you're absolutely right it will get you places it will get you work if you showcase it in the right kind of way i remember when i auditioned for dracula um back in 2019 mm. uh, i'd gotten that audition through one of my previous directors and she was going to be assistant director on dracula so she told the director about me and essentially sung my praises um and she told me and I, I was like, oh, my God, you know, I've got this audition and I cannot thank you enough because yeah. this theatre company have been on my bucket list for the past like two or three years. So this is amazing. And I went into that audition and it, it was so relaxed, but it was absolutely wonderful because she gave me the opportunity to, to sing to showcase one of the accents that I could do, to do a monologue, which was Shakespeare. Um, so straight away, you've got three different skills of mine and two of which, the singing and the particular accent that I was required to do, I was quite good at. Mm. So it was that thing of, I did that and I was obviously, as everyone is when they're at an audition, you're nervous. Oh yeah. I. I had that belief in myself because I was like, I know that I can do this and I know that I can do it very well. So I went in with that. And as soon as we got to, I got the part. And as soon as we got to the production and rehearsals, I was then sort of trusted with the vocal aspect and the musical aspect of this role. Mm. And to be given that, that, uh, opportunity to be so um, independent with with it and sort of create it all yourself that only came about because I showcased my vocal talent yeah. so you've just got to go out there and be like hey world this is what I can do and it's Hell not yeah. it's not in an arrogant kind of way it's like you wouldn't have gone into the no horizon uh, sort of audition room or whatever and gone oh hi guys look I can't see aren't I great you wouldn't have done that no. but it's that thing of being like I have experience yeah. of this and I know that I can bring that to to my work absolutely um, but yeah 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 funny old business this isn't it <laughs> it is it really is yeah no I mean we've um we've we've had the privilege to work together a couple of times on things and i mean 
I think both the things we've done, we've done a school's pantomime together and we've done a driving pantomime the year just gone, which I think meant a lot more than usual because obviously with the pandemic, the fact we were able to bring some Christmas cheer to people meant more than ever. And again, it just shows, you know, that was a small show out in, uh, out in Chester, but it held so much importance to us and the people yeah. watching it. And I think that's, that's the purest theatre. I think if you're in, if you want to get into this, it's fine to have ambition, of course it is. But if you, if you're in this because you want to be famous, then chances are you're not going to be famous. Sorry. Yeah. Um, we yeah. do it because we, you know, we love it and we love yeah. getting that enjoyment out of it. And we're very lucky that we can make it at this point anyway, a career. Um, so yeah, as long as it, I mean, as long as it still is fun. I always, I remember starting at Lipper and uh, our head shooter, Steve. Steve, as anyone, anyone who knows him will know. But, um, you know, lovely American guy. But I remember he said, he said, guys, um, he said, we've had some wonderful students through these doors who aren't actors anymore. And we were like, oh, you know, we were curious. We were like, why? What have they done? And the one that always sticks out, I can't remember her name. I think it was Leanne or something. But um he said, oh, it was like, you know, his favorite student. He was like, she was brilliant. She could do anything. She was a really naturally talented actor. And, um, and he said, yeah, but she wanted to start a family. And now she runs a farm with her family. And I was like, for me, I, I don't know. That was a real, not wake up call, but it was a, a relief in a way. Because I think when, yeah. when you're building up, especially to drama school, I think it is drilled into you a lot. It's like, you want to be an actor and that is it. There is no alternative. If you're doing this, that's it there's no alternative in life and that's just not true things things change for a variety of reasons and i think i always um it's so it's so sad but i always abide by a quote uh by a character called tegan from 80s doctor who who does sum it up perfectly though um when she leaves the tardis she says um when it stopped being fun just give it up and it stopped being fun and i think because acting is such fun for me that's what i not live by, but I have it there, you know, I'm like, if, if it ever stops being fun, maybe not give it up permanently, but just step back. And I think, sorry, I'm going on many tangents here, but that is, um, for anyone listening, it's okay to step back. Um, again, I think that is something in the industry where once you're in it, if you take one step out, you're not coming back in. I think that's a massive thing that is still stigmatized. Is it true to a degree? Sadly, yes. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist because for some people, sadly, they have had that experience and it does exist. But I have also known people who have taken a year, two years to do whatever it is they wanted to do, travel, start a family, do something else, and then come back into it. And there's, there's jobs there for them. So I think just, you know, if you do want to step out, don't be afraid or ashamed to do that. If it's right for you, if it's going to help you, whether it's your health or your lifestyle, whatever, do it. Because I would argue there's more of a chance that if you step back in, you'll be able to do something. Yeah. That's my PSA. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's so true. And unfortunately, there is a bit of a stigma around leaving the industry for, it's not even leaving the industry. It's taking a step back from it for a while. Yeah. And it should be as normal as, you know, making a brew in the morning. It really should, because we are all human beings and, we I mean I speak on behalf of myself and of you and a lot of the actors that I know we work really really hard for the thing that we want to do and mm. because we love it we're very very passionate people and so to give so much of yourself over to a craft and not always receive 
the best kind of responses or yeah. work. It can be very, very tiring. I know very. for me personally, I, I mean, you know this, I have uh, an incredible amount of anxiety and in the past I uh, was diagnosed with depression as well. So I'm very aware of that and I'm very aware that uh, with what's happened in the past year, for example, I've had very bad bouts of, of those things mentally. And so even if it's just for a week, two weeks, whatever, I've kind of taken a step back from uh, acting or whatever, whatever it is uh, that I'm up to at that time. And I've tried as hard as I can to be like, don't feel guilty because you need this time to recoup and recharge yeah. batteries. Um, but ultimately there is always going to be, I think for, for performers or any sort of creative there probably will always be that seed of, of doubt, maybe of worry that you maybe won't get back into it. But I think if you're determined enough, you will get back into it. And like you said, sometimes taking that time out and coming back, having a whole breadth of new experiences, knowledge and understanding of the world can lead you into work. So yeah, very good point, Adam. Thank you. I just don't think mental health is nothing to be ashamed of. And I, I am, I, I mean, it is, I'd say over the last five, 10 years, it has gotten better in like wider society, people's understanding, people's reaction to mental health. But I still think there are some instances where even if it's not directly, it's made out that if you don't accept something or commit to something or have to drop out of something because of mental health, then that in some way is a detriment to you as a person. Mm. I don't agree with that. I've always believed if if it's concerning your health in any way, health always come first. And I mean, I always go back my my dear gran, who's turning 99 this year, people. So words <laughs> of wisdom here. She always said your health is your wealth. And she's absolutely right, because if you don't have your health, then, well, I doubt you'll be able to do many of the other things you want to do in life without that. So, yeah, I mean, I've never I mean, I've had to drop out of projects before because of various uh mental health reasons and i've whenever i've you know i'd send that email which you know we don't like doing of course we don't but i've always tried to say to myself this isn't your fault like just be honest and they'll react how they react and i'm happy to say that in my experience those people have been very understanding um i haven't had a bad i know people who have had bad experiences and i feel for that because again you shouldn't stigmatize mental health really um but yeah I just think it's important that it's it's touched upon every now and then in the industry because I think there are peaks as well where it's just sort of forgotten about. Yeah, I yeah. would agree. And just to sort of second what you've just been saying, um, I too have had to uh, step away from a job because of bad mental health, partly because of what was going on with the creative team as well and the dynamic between myself and them. And it's a horrible position to be in, but ultimately you're completely right. Your mental health comes first. In that situation, I knew that the right thing to do was to step back from it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wasn't enjoying the process. I wasn't looking forward to anything. Ultimately, I knew that I wouldn't get anything. I wouldn't learn anything 
or gain anything from this process or performance. Mm -hmm. And I think it was when I was that honest with myself that I sort of said to myself, right, I know what I need to do now. I need to get in touch with the director and I need to have a very honest conversation. Yeah. Um, And like I said, it's very, very difficult, especially if you're having that conversation in person. Yes. Um, But I am a firm believer that honesty is the best policy. Mm -hmm. And if you can have those conversations and be true to yourself, then it, you know, it should not affect you later down the line. Absolutely. It's, I know some people say, well, I don't like saying this or that. And like, honesty, for some things, it can be difficult, obviously, depending on the subject. But I think you just have to try as much as you can to believe that in the long run, at least, it will be the best thing to do. Um, So, yeah always be honest people always be honest don't do bad things don't don't be horrible again don't be a horrible person <laughs> don't be a horrible person okay don't be a, i'm refraining from using stronger language so but yeah no, i think no, people i, I think people i think people get the idea of what i'm getting at but yeah yeah absolutely yeah smashing well two things that i wanted to ask you before we wrap the podcast mm. up is first of all do you have any sort of motto or mantra that you live by that brings you back down to the ground when you need it or that lifts you up when you need it sure so for acting I'd say my motto is I'll try anything once because I think that's important um you might have you might think oh I I could as an example you might think oh I could never do a musical but it's like well have a go and if you can't, you can't, you can, you can. So I always, I always try myself. I always try and like to do new things, even if they scare me a bit. I think that's important in acting Uh, for life in general. um, I don't have a specific motto. I just say, um, as long as I, as long as I keep busy creatively, as long as I'm keeping in tune with those I care about like yourself or close friends. And as long as I'm finding the positivity in everyday life, then I'm happy. Because, I mean, obviously in the last year, there's been a lot to be negative about. Quite rightly, not saying you can't be. It's been a very negative year the past year. So even more so, I think I just followed by that. I kept busy. I kept in touch with those I loved. And I looked for regular little bits of positivity, whether that was going for a walk or reading a book that I'd always wanted to read or listening to an audio drama, whatever that is for you. Just look. They are there. Just look for those moments that bring you some joy and some calm because I think now more than ever they will they will be helpful to you definitely amazing and my final question is is there anything that you've watched or read or listened to or anything in general that makes you feel positive or happy that you would recommend to other people I realize that it's a very similar question but no, I get it. Yeah. Especially with like lockdown and COVID and that we've had a lot of time on our hands mm. and I'm very, uh, I like when people recommend things to me during this time because it makes me feel like almost happy in a way. Cause it's like, Oh, I've got something new to try. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I don't know how much I can disclose about this yet, but at the time of recording, I'm working with For Inclusion, who is a division of Channel 4, who focus on uh, diversity and inclusion within the industry, which of course is very important and very much needed as well. Um, 
I won't get into it too much, but part of this freelance job is watching a lot of Channel 4 programs that uh, celebrate LGBT people. And there's numerous shows throughout history that, I mean, if you haven't seen It's a Sin, the new Russell T. Davies drama, watch that. Uh, it will break your heart, but it's brilliant. Uh, Russell's other works for Channel 4, Cucumber, uh, Queer as Folk as well from the late 90s. Um, there's a brilliant, I remember telling you about this, there's a brilliant drama from 1983 called One Summer, which is a five-part series with a very young David Morrissey um, about two Scouse lads who run away to Wales. And I won't say much more, but it is available on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. And if you get the chance to watch it, it's a, it's a big thumbs up from me. Um, what else? Oh, also listen to audio drama, all kinds of audio drama. I mean, the one I've listened to, and you're already smiling. If you're not a Doctor Who fan, zone out for a minute. But there's this company called Big Finish who make audio dramas, mainly on Doctor Who, but other things as well. And I'd say give audio drama a try because it, I mean, the way Big Finish, it's so immersive. Like I sometimes have it on whilst I edit, but sometimes there are things that will happen that make me stop because it's, it's grabbed me that much. And there are several companies out there who make audio dramas or audiobook readings of things and I I just just go and try one just go and try one and see what you think I know the audio thing isn't for everyone but if you like it if you discover it and like it it's a joy honestly there's so many wonderful stories and it flexes your imagination as well because you've got to imagine what you're hearing so on that sense just audio drama in general go and listen to some I think if you look around there might be some for free I'm sure the BBC will have some radio drama available for free I think if you're on Audible, the Amazon thing, I think if you sign up, you get a free, you get to download one free book, I think. Um, so yeah, just, just go and try audio drama and see what you think. That's my biggest recommendation, probably. Nice one. Well, thank you so much, Adam. Thank no you for worries. your time today and your energy. Um, completely different to our last podcast, if you watched the last one with Jenny McIntyre. Uh, but I honestly cannot thank you enough for coming on today. And thank you to everyone that has watched. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and both myself and Adam will meet you down there for a little chat. Yeah, we will. And finally, subscribe to Blue Balloon Theatre's YouTube channel, uh, if you haven't already, because we're creating loads of amazing content for you guys. And, you know, we're just making art and creative chats like this accessible to as many people as we can. Um, Adam, would you like to plug any of your social medias? Sure. So YouTube, just Adam Martin, Martin with a Y, not with an I, please. It's Martin with a Y. Uh, you'll find me there. I sometimes go by AMTV, which isn't the channel name. It's sort of the channel branding, but it'll probably pop up. Uh, head over and check out my stuff there. And just on Twitter, Adam Martin Actor on Twitter. You can give me a follow and see the rubbish I post day in and day out, but some important things too. So yeah, just Twitter and uh, YouTube would be the main ones, I'd say, to keep in touch with me. And yeah, go and subscribe to Becca. Subscribe to Blue Balloon. Do that. Do it right now. Go on. Do it. Go on. <laughs> well, thank you for that. No worries. And yeah, like I said, thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. And we will see you at the next podcast. See you later. See ya.